Welcome to another edition of Big Blue Kickoff Live right here on Giants.com. I'm John Schmelk. My partner is Jeff Fiegel's back in the house. The yes, number for you is 201-939-4513. We got two great guests today. Phil Savage uh, does Radio Alabama. He's their analyst and also runs the Reese's Senior Bowl. So obviously he knows a ton about this draft class. And then we have Dan Orlovsky, former NFL quarterback, coming your way at around 1230. So between those two guests, we will try to take a couple of your phone calls, uh, talk a little draft or whatever else we want to talk about with the New York Giants. But let's get right to it. Whoa, 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 Phil, whoa, whoa, whoa. go ahead. What's up, Jeff? To, oh, oh, I might, oh, and then later in the show, oh, at the end yeah, of the show, that's a, big, that's a big, big, big thing. Charlie's lobsters are here, and Jeff will unveil them at the end of the show. I yes, forgot about will. that, Jeff. Okay. Thank you. Yeah. I, I, want to, you know, I want everybody to tune in. You know, They don't want to leave after the, after the interviews and stuff. Jeff is very excited about his lobsters. I don't know how many are in there, but uh, there we'll better be out. at least one. All right, <laughs> l let's go to Phil Savage. He is the radio analyst for Alabama football, also runs the Senior Bowl. Phil, I was down in Mobile. You did an excellent job putting the event on this year. You do a fantastic job. We appreciate the time today. Hey, Phil. Well, yeah, hey, guys. Uh, well, thank you so much. Uh, we have a, a very dedicated staff, and, you know, most people think of the Reese's Senior Bowl as a one-week out of the year event, but we have stuff going on down here, you know, locally and on our website year round. So you guys get a chance to see sort of the culmination of a year's worth of work. But uh, it did go quite well this year, obviously, with players like Josh Allen and Baker Mayfield. And then maybe the story of this draft, Shaquem Griffin uh, being part of our game this year. All right, let's start with Alabama. We're going to try to bang through. There's so many guys from, from the Crimson Tide, Phil. I mean, Every I feel year. like Every you're going to have 10 is. guys in the first two days of the draft like, going off the board. So uh, we're going to try to do one question on each guy and then get to your overall view of the draft. Let's start with Deron Payne okay. first. Um, Two-part question. Do you see him in the NFL as a one or a three technique? And how do you see his I'll call it inconsistency, where he looked like a much more active and better player in the final two games of the year compared to what he did earlier in the season. Yeah, Deron Payne is a big man athlete. I mean, this is a, a very athletic, big-bodied interior defensive lineman that can stack at the point of attack. Then he can work down the line of scrimmage. And although he doesn't have much sack production, you know, the Bama scheme – for the interior defensive lineman, really doesn't allow for a lot of freedom and pass rush. So Got I it. think that that's an area where he will improve the most. So is he a one technique, a nose, or a three technique? He probably fits best as a one, but I think he could play either one. Uh, this is a really gifted individual. He's only a junior, so he's got plenty of upside. And I think if he had waited another year to come out, he'd probably be a top ten pick next year. Well, talk about top ten pick. I would imagine the next guy we're going to talk about, Minka Fitzpatrick, is going to be one of those guys. Um, you know, you look at the career that he had at Alabama, uh, probably one of the best cornerbacks or safeties to come out of Alabama in the Saban era. Tell me a little bit about uh, Minka Fitzpatrick. You see him playing that strong safety position and a little bit more uh, about his ability to, to, to cover receivers and all that good stuff. Yeah, my first exposure to Minka when he signed with Alabama, they posted a video of him on top of one of uh, an apartment building there in New Jersey somewhere, and he was doing, you know, defensive back footwork drills in the snow. And I'm like, wow, this guy looks like he might be something special. He showed up as a true freshman, became an immediate starter, contributed as a corner, as a left corner, and then played in the slot some, and then, of course, uh, midway through his second year, Eddie Jackson goes down the safety 
with an injury. They decide to move Minka back to safety to take his place. Uh, he continued in that nickel role for the last year and a half. So essentially spent a year and a half at corner and then a year plus at safety. His primary spot, though, is as that slot corner where he can support the run, blitz off the edge, and then cover. Ironically enough, I've been doing the radio for Bama since 2009. My favorite player has had been Landon Collins. I, I just loved watching Landon play. He had a, a temperament that you love to have on your team. And he was my number one until Minka showed up. Wow. <laughs> and Minka sort of knocked Landon off, off the pedestal, so to speak, at least in my view. I think he's a tremendous football player. If I were a team, I would continue to look at him as a corner with the ability to slide inside. I think safety is a position that he can go to later. But, you know, to me, people saying that he's a safety, I think they've forgotten how good he was as a, as a corner out on the, on the edge. We're joined by Phil Savage, Alabama Radio, runs the Reese's Senior Bowl. Calvin Ridley, uh, I, I kind of caught back up with this tape. I had watched him previously, watched him again this morning, Phil, and it just strikes me how his route running is just NFL caliber, and he creates separation as well as anybody I've seen in this class at the top of the route. He's so fundamentally sound. But the Knicks on him were that maybe he didn't test so well at the combine, had a good 40 and three cone, but his jumping and explosive tests really weren't what some people look for. But when I see the tape, I see things that should translate to the NFL level, and his numbers would have been a lot better at Alabama if he had a more passing-oriented quarterback playing with him. Yeah, he's a really good football player. You know, one of the things about Calvin is he's a little bit older. You know, people yeah. say, okay, he's a junior coming from Alabama. Well, he, he turned 20 his freshman year with the Tide, so he'll be 23 years old by the time uh, his rookie season rolls around. But this is a, a prospect that can play underneath the defense. He's got a lot of savvy uh, working, finding those, opening, uh, those open areas for a quarterback. And then he's got the ability to go over the top. And, you know, I would say of the receivers that have come through Alabama, namely Julio Jones, who's just a powerhouse of a player, and then Amari Cooper, who was extremely fluid. You know, both of those guys went in the top six of the draft. I personally never saw Calvin in that category, but I do think he's a first-rounder. And I think he's a player that comes in and can contribute right away because, as you pointed out, He's got a lot of fundamental techniques already under his belt, and you would think he's just going to be a plug-in-and-play a contributor right away for a team that's in need of a wide receiver. You see him as more of a Z than an X at the pro level, you would think? You know, I, I think that one value of Calvin is that he's played outside, played in the slot, yeah. move him around in motion. He, he's really got an ability to comprehend a lot of football uh, in terms of the playbook and, and Schemes in a given week, so I guess if if I had if I were pinned down, I'd say he's more of a Z because of that flexibility of moving around. Uh, Rashawn Evans, uh, obviously a, a tremendous leader. He was picked as one of the captains, one of the four permanent captains for the Alabama team. Um, you know, some of the draft people have him picked as maybe the second, third, fourth linebacker in the draft coming up this year. Tell me a little bit about Rashad Evans and where you think maybe he'll go and what round you see him trying to drop into or even moving up. Yeah, Rashawn is uh, very talented. Of course, he, he hails from Auburn, Alabama, but ended up playing in Tuscaloosa. And you know, there, 
major high hopes for him coming into the year. But he ended up having a couple ticky-tack injuries in September, sort of took away from some of his production early on. But if you put on the LSU game, which was early November, that was probably his best game of the year. And you see everything that you want out of a linebacker. He can play in the box, off the line of scrimmage. He can extend out and cover out in space, running backs and tight ends. And then he's really an excellent blitzer, uh, either from depth or from the edge. And, you know, the, the value in Rashawn Evans is going to be that, that versatility of being able to play inside and or outside because really coming into this past season, he was Alabama's best outside rusher. Yeah. And when he was hurt in September, it really affected their defense. And then once he came back, you know, they began to put all the pieces together on that side of the ball. But uh, Rashawn Evans is, is sort of a C.J. Mosley type uh, prospect. C.J. went, you know, 16th to the Ravens a few years ago. I wouldn't say that Rashawn is as fluid of an athlete as C.J., mm-hmm. but I do think he's a more explosive contact player in terms of his tackling and his ability to be physical against offensive linemen and running backs. If you if you need him to cover underneath on third downs and you're not going to blitz him on that particular play, can you trust him in space to, to stick with tight ends or, or guys coming over the middle and zone? Yeah, i tell you the other thing that he did. In 2015, Bama played Clemson in the national title game. Of course, he was only a sophomore that year. But he was the key defender in that game because Clemson had Alabama on the ropes with Deshaun Watson and company. Yeah. And finally they put Deshaun, they put Rashawn in there to mirror Deshaun. And he had a couple of sacks, a, quarter, a couple of quarterback pressures where he was the mirror defender on Deshaun Watson. That was a key element in that game. And uh, that was really sort of a, a glimpse of what Rashawn was going to bring to the table as an upperclassman. How about the safety, Ronnie Harrison? Um, do you see him more as a box guy? Is he somebody you can put out there in cover three in the middle of the field to to cover and, and, and react to the ball in the air? Where do you see him fitting best in the NFL? Yeah, of course, Ronnie was a high-profile prospect coming out of Tallahassee, Florida. He showed up at Alabama, started off on special teams, ultimately got a starting role. And, you know, once Minka Fitzpatrick was moved to safety because of the injury to Eddie Jackson, that sort of overshadowed Ronnie Harrison to a degree. But I'm telling you, as a standalone talent, uh, he's, he's got some goods to him. I mean, he is a very physical run support player. And I do think he has enough coverability. Not only has he played in the deep part of the field, but he's dropped down in the box and shadowed tight ends and third receivers. Okay. Uh, he's another junior that has entered the draft that, Look, if he goes back next year, you're probably talking about a top 15 uh, pick, perhaps. In this particular draft, he's probably more like a late first rounder, early second. But I like the player a lot. Uh, He is very young. He's a third-year junior, no red shirt involved. So you would expect that there's plenty of upside for Ronnie, who, uh, who who can stand by his own talent uh, relative to Minka Fitzpatrick and some of these other guys. So we're going to go a little bit for the offensive position here. Bradley Bozeman, the center for 
uh, Alabama last year and the year before. Kind of has kind of had a career where he started out just kind of being on the roster, not getting much playing time. And then the last couple of years, really has come into his own playing that center position. A big guy, big guy for a center, six foot five, three hundred and seventeen pounds. That's a that's a load of a guy to move around there. Give me a little bit about Bradley and and where you see him coming up in the in the draft this year. Yeah, I tell you, a couple years ago, Bama lost Ryan Kelly, graduated, ended up being a first-round pick to the Indianapolis Colts. And one of the major concerns for Alabama was who's going to be the center, who's going to be the quarterback, who's going to be the tailback, because they lost Ryan Kelly, Derrick Henry, and and then uh, Jake Coker had moved on as well uh, as their quarterback. And Bradley Bozeman went in there as a first-time starter his junior year. I would say – that he's been a very solid college player. You mentioned the the size. He is a big body in the middle. Not overly athletic. Probably ends up on the ground too much, quite honestly, for Mm -hmm. some of the teams that are out there that are looking for more of the quicker, agile center. Uh, But I tell you, Bradley's got a lot of intangibles. He was also a captain this year. And, you know, when – when these teams put a big nose on a center, you need somebody with some girth, and he has that. The, the biggest knock on Bradley is going to be, you know, just the overall mobility in terms yeah. of playing out in space, you know, getting up to the second level on, a, on, an, on an athletic linebacker. But I, I suspect he'll be a late-round choice. If not, he'd be a, an excellent undrafted free agent because he does have a really nice pedigree over the last two years. How about the Sean Hand, Phil? Uh, kind of that three-four, you know, five technique. D end in college. He's six-four, two ninety-five. You know, he's not that guy that's going to bend the edge for you. Where do you see him fitting in at the pro level? Do you think he could be a three-technique defensive tackle? Do you think that's where teams would target him? Yeah, Deshaun Hand, of course, was the number one recruit in America when he showed up at Alabama, and I think he's one of those players. And I'm just speculating here, just sort of, you know, putting my NFL hat on. He's one of those players that was so big, so gifted, so talented through high school. He gets to Alabama. He never really had to push himself and work that hard because he was always better than everyone else. Mm-hmm. Well, now you get to college, and some of the other guys have obviously caught up to him. I mean, this was the number one recruit coming out of high school, and now he's seen as probably a second or third round pick. So he's got some work to do. Uh, but I think if he can really devote himself uh, and because he's got a great personality, and he's got a ton of talent. But he has not really reached his potential. In terms of position fit, you know, 3-4 defensive end, that 5 technique, and then kick down inside as a third down or subtype rusher, I think that'd be the role for Deshaun Hand. And I tell you, if he ends up being drafted, say, in the late second or third round, he's going to end up being a nice value for somebody because you can expect that he can be a three-down player. Right. Uh, if he can make this adjustment from college to pro and really get the mentality that, you know what, I can't worry about what I've done in the past. I've got to worry about what I'm going to do in the future and really dedicate himself. I think he can be a, you know, seven, eight-year pro in the NFL. Well, you know, we don't get to talk a lot about kickers and punters on the show most most of the time. I try to bring it up as many times as I can, <laughs> but I get shut down. But, you know, we got to talk about J.K. Scott. I mean, here's a guy that, that I've watched over the last two or three years, and I'm, I'm pretty impressed with his ability to do anything he wants with the football, especially at the level that he's playing at with Alabama and playing in some of the big games. Tell me a little bit about J.K. Scott. And, I, you know, I, I think he has a position in the pros, in my opinion, coming up, being the, being the punter that I was. I see a lot of good things in him tell me a little bit about jk 
Yeah, Jeff, uh, I think you're you're on the right guy. You know he he was really Alabama's secret weapon. No question uh, over the over his career because you know Nick Saban's philosophy with his quarterbacks is that look we want to end every drive with a kick of some kind, a punt, a field goal, or an extra point. And when Bama's offense bogged down at at times. J.K. could flip the field if they were on the minus side of the field. And then if they were around the 50-yard line, you know, he could pin teams inside the 20. And now that team's got to go the long way against that Bama defense. And so he was a huge part of their formula for winning, you know, and obviously a couple national championships here in the last three years. But J.K.'s got classic punter size. He's 6'5". He's got the long levers. He really is capable of driving the ball down the middle of the field. He can directional punt. He can also do the pooch punts down inside the 10-yard line. Uh, So I think he's got a long career in the NFL ahead of him. He and Johnny Townsend from Florida, they were both of our punters Mm -hmm. here at the Reese's Senior Bowl. And, you know, I would have a tough time deciding on which one or the other because Johnny's outstanding as well. But I think that both of those guys will end up uh, punting in the league for a long time. Phil, final question on the Alabama guys, and I'll get your take on, on what the Giants should do in the draft. Uh, two corners, both seniors. they kind of been overshadowed a little bit, I think, by some of the other you know stars that are go probably in the first or second round. Uh, Anthony Averett and Tony Brown, where do you see them falling in the draft, and, and how do you project them to the NFL level? Yeah, you've got those two. Plus, don't forget Levi Wallace, That's who right. was actually the starter opposite of Anthony Averett, and Tony Brown was the nickel. Uh, corner this year at different times throughout the season but uh, let's start with Anthony first you know he's from you guys area he's from New Jersey uh, one thing you can't coach is speed and he's got it he's a sub 4-4 guy on almost any given day and so he played really well the last two years and particularly in 16 his junior year because teams really challenged him because Marlon Humphrey the Ravens first round pick a year ago was on the opposite side so people tried to target Anthony. He withstood that, and by the end of the 16th season, teams were actually going towards Humphrey's side more because he had a hamstring and really wasn't 100% down the stretch of that season. Uh, in terms of Tony Brown, he's always had the physical traits. He, he looks like a, a, a corner cut off out of the Hollywood back lot you know, of a movie, if you were trying to chisel a corner and say, hey, this is what he would look like and this is how he would run. He's a 4-3 guy as well. Uh, He's fast. He can be physical at times. The issue there is just there was not much consistency, and I'm not sure how much trust they had in terms of him executing within the defense that they play. And, you know, with Nick Saban, uh, and, and the defensive coaches they've had there, you really have to know what to do, and you have to be on the same page with the other 10 defenders. I, I think that that was probably part of the hang-up with Tony, but, wow, he has blown up this pre-draft run-up. He's run fast. He's worked out well. You, you, I was at the Bama Pro Day. I mean, he looks like a first-round corner in a workout, but obviously it goes beyond that. And then with Levi Wallace, he's a fascinating story. He is the rare walk-on who ended up emerging and actually becoming a starter for Alabama. And what happened is in the Florida State game, which was the opener this year, uh, they tried to play a younger player uh, that really was not ready for prime time, so to speak. Had a couple blown fuses in the first quarter. They mm-hmm. exited that player. They put Levi Wallace in. And, guys, believe it or not, 
through the first six, eight games of the season for Alabama, and, and I do a ton of interviews down here across the state, I said, he's the MVP for the Alabama defense. Wow. The defense littered with all these guys who are going to be first-rounders, and he's been the key cog because they could trust him. They mm. put him on the field. He held up quite well Love it. as the left corner for Alabama this year. That allowed them to keep Minka Fitzpatrick at safety. It allowed them to put Minka down inside the slot uh, in their sub-packages. And Levi Wallace was a, was a huge contributor to Alabama's success this year. He's not going to have great measurables, but in terms of the nuances and having his and, and playing with his eyes, having the eye control and the instincts for the game, he's got all those things. So I think he's got a reasonable chance to make a team next year as well. Phil, final question. The Giants at two, uh, they, they really kind of control a little bit what's going to happen early in this draft. They can go any number of directions. you got the quarterbacks that you're real familiar with. Uh, your top three position players, throwing Minka Fitzpatrick, if you like, along with Quentin Nelson, Bradley Chubb, Saquon Barkley. If you're sitting at two and you're Dave Gettleman, what are you thinking? <laughs> I'm going to subscribe to the thought out there that if the Browns take Josh Allen, then Sam Donald's going to be the pick for the New York Giants because I get the sense that Donald might be the guy that stands above the rest of these quarterbacks for the Giants. If Donald goes one, then I think the Giants will be looking – it either Saquon Barkley or Nick Chubb or Bradley Chubb, rather the defensive end from NC State. Uh, you know, can you find a defensive end in this draft in the second or third round? Maybe you can. I think most people feel like you can always find a running back somewhere in the second or third round. We saw it last year with Kareem Hunt, uh, Alvin Kamara, obviously did well for the Saints. So, it, if it were me, I'm thinking they would lean towards Chubb if Donald is off the board. Uh, but can Saquon Barkley have an e immediate impact on the offensive line and Eli Manning? There's no question about that. He's a sensational talent, and we've seen running backs go early here that have contributed like Zeke Elliott, like uh, Leonard Fournette in recent years. So I, I don't think they can go wrong with any of those guys, quite honestly. And, of course, uh, we haven't even talked about the potential of trading back. But <laughs> oh, I'm we have. I'm not sure that they're going to do that. Oh, I we have. They'll we... stay there and pick pick a player. Yeah. If you had to choose between Mayfield or Rosen, what direction would you go? Because Phil, I got to be honest, I go back and forth every day on which guy I like better. <laughs> well, and see, that's part that's part of the answer to to how I'm going to frame this. See, if you asked me this a week ago, I'd have them in a certain order. You asked me, they have them in a different right. order. And so, to me, when there's that kind of question mark. Man, do you just step back and say, are we overvaluing all these quarterbacks? Mm -hmm. And let's take a non-quarterback. <laughs> it's a tough thing to do, but the Giants are in position to do it because of Eli's presence. And look, if Eli can play another two or three years, maybe they take a swing at one of these second or third round quarterbacks yeah. and try to develop someone behind the scenes relative to what they think of, of Davis Webb. And see, that's an unknown that none of us have uh, an indication on. What does Pat Shermer think? about Davis Webb and his future upside because if they feel pretty good about Davis, then maybe they should just go non-quarterback there at the top of the draft and, and carry on. So yeah. uh, it's going to be a fascinating Thursday night at the draft, that first round. I don't think any of us really have any idea what's going to happen, particularly in that top five. <laughs> Absolutely not. And then maybe they handcuff Davis up with a Mike White or a Kyle Loletta, two guys that we did see at the uh, Reese Senior Bowl. Phil, we appreciate the time. Thanks so much. Tremendous Thank information. You, I know you're busy today, and we'll touch base with you down the road, all right? Okay, guys. I really enjoy it, and uh, 
good luck in the draft. Thank you. Thank you, Phil. Thank you. We can't wait. Less than two weeks away, Phil Savage. So Phil Savage, Savage. <laughs> runs the Senior Bowl. And, of course, he's the radio analyst Let for Alabama football. Let me ask you a question. So do you, do you think it's – well, obviously I know the answer to this, but it's, yeah, I'm trying to compare the two. This NFL draft coming up with all the question marks about the quarterbacks and who the Giants are going to take and all the trades, this and this is almost like filling out a bracket for the NCAA. I mean, it's like it's impossible to get this thing so correct. So much fun. Right? So much fun. But it is a lot of fun. And like you, and at least you're honest about the fact that John does change his, his opinions about every week about which quarterback should be going. But I will tell you this. Well, remember, I, I, I have been on Donald and won the whole time, and I'm still there. It's the Mayfield-Rosen thing that gets me. <laughs> well, here's the thing. I, I, I'm still in agreement with a lot of what Phil had said. I, I still think, and, and, and he kind of makes a good point. If you're not really, uh, you're not really true set on any of these quarterbacks, then just go the opposite way and say, you know what, we don't like, we just, you know, that's the safe bet. However, it always can come back and bite you, and and you know later on. Can't hit home run if you don't swing the bat. Uh, I I agree. It's just very <laughs> difficult, but um, we'll see what happens. And it is it is kind of intriguing to see. It's getting close, guys. Finally, yeah, it's I getting know. Getting real close. Nothing. No one's tipping their hat, though. Nope. Nothing. Nobody is just saying, ah, nothing's coming out. You know, maybe that happens the last week of the before we start getting a little. You know, some guys start there's some smoke coming out of the chimney here. Who knows? All right, we got Dan Orlovsky in about five minutes. We'll take a couple calls between now and then. And one piece of breaking news: I'm not even sure if Dan Salomon so they said who's running the show today, but Mike uh, Adam Schefter and Todd Archer, at least according to the information Jeff Fiegel's just gave me, uh, report that the Cowboys are going to cut Des Bryant, which is surprising not that they're letting him go, but that they would let him go now because they can't use the money they're saving on the cap on anybody, but it's so late in the process. It, it, it just seems like a weird timing thing to me, but whatever. 201-939-4513. Would this be, a, would this be one of the June, the June 1st guys? Not, I, I think they might just take the whole hit this year so they don't have to extend it. We'll see. Who knows? Let's go to um, – let me see. I don't see any calls up here. There we are. I wasn't scrolled all the way up. Marco in Connecticut. He's up first. Hi, Marco. Marco. Hey, guys, how are you? What's up, What's buddy? Up, Marco? I'm doing great. I'm looking forward to Orlowski. I'm a Connecticut guy, and he's uh, followed <laughs> his career, and I've heard him a couple times. He's doing a great job with oh, the yeah. uh, draft coverage. Absolutely. Um, hey, real quick, guys, I know it's, we're pressed with time here. So yep. I'm just trying to think through this uh, number two pick, and I, I, I want to see what you guys think about oh, the way I'm going with Be this. Be careful what you ask. Uh, uh, yeah, well – it's not so much who I just I'm going based on what Gettleman and Shermer have said when they've talked and they haven't tipped their hands one way or another, but they've been firm on a couple things, and one and this is what gets in the way of my thinking. They Gettleman has said Hall of Fame pick, yep, and he has said that this guy has to be a number two pick in any draft. Yes, right, okay. So then we get to, and, and I don't think he's being tongue-in-cheek, by the way, when he says a Hall of Fame pick. I think he means that. No, I buy it. Um, okay, so then, and Shermer also has talked about, look back at the guys the Giants have drafted when they've picked number two, LT. He's also brought up number three, Carl Banks. Yep. Um, I can't get that off my mind. So I think if you're looking at just positional value, take the quarterback out. For a second, just take it out. Unless, uh, because I don't know how they feel about Webb and Darnold, just like Phil Savage said. But if they don't want a quarterback and they're picking number two, I think Chubb has got to be the guy based on what you're getting from a pass. You're getting a pass rusher there. But I, 
everything you hear about Barkley is he's got the Hall of Fame pedigree, and so and so does Quentin Nelson. But I don't factor Nelson into it because he's a guard. Yep. So my thing with Chubb is, is Chubb as good of a D end as Barkley is as a running back? I and, would say probably not, but it's close. Okay. So so then so then I'm thrown back into the running back agreement. And and John, I'll say this: if Chubb is drafted at two, is it fair to say that he's got to be Lawrence Taylor to no. validate the pick? No. No, he doesn't have why, to be Lawrence why, Taylor. Why? why? If LT because L- LT is a – he's yeah, the best I, I defensive player yeah, in NFL history, Barco. Yeah, I don't think there's too many people that have been I mean, there. I mean I, – I know. I know it's not fair, but Barkley is also what they're – they talk about Barkley like he's a generational player. I, I understand, but to me – and, and Marco, we got to run. Thanks for the call. We appreciate right. it. Thank um, you, guys. If he's Joey Bosa, you're fine. I mean, if you get a Joey Bosa caliber player, you sign up for that. That's There's cool. no question. Sure, and can he great. be that kind of guy? Absolutely. I think he Chubb can, be. can be. that kind and of guy. And if you guys want to learn more about Chubb, we had the NC State guy on yesterday talk about it, and we had Dame Brugler two days ago talk a lot about Chubb. So go back in the archives, check it out. I think he's a little bit better than some people give him credit for. Dan, I'm going to try to squeeze in this other caller real quick. Dan, line two, Christian in New York. Click him in real quick for me. Thank you very much. Hey, Christian. Hey, guys. I have to say, I do feel a little better about Chubb um, ever since that interview you guys had on on the show because the high motor is just so important. Um, I have to say, like, like when I was talking about, you know... You got to be quick here, Christian. Things. We have a guest coming oh, up. Yeah, Speed it up. It's okay. Yeah. Um, I just feel like he's a little closer to Derek Barnett than he is to Solomon Thomas. So that's why I was thinking about him going maybe a little bit later. That's interesting. In the draft and some thought. But, um, I, I, but I, I would be shocked if he's not off the board in the top six yeah, or seven when picks. When we say later, I don't think you're yes. – like we're talking about like on one hand later, you can probably talk about. Yes. Yeah, right around 10. I would, like, no way. He, no, 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 no. He will no, not no, make no, it to no, 10. No, no. He's probably not even going to make it to seven. I guess so. I mean, I guess just quarterbacks included if some – some teams want to pair the top shelf with the premium position with guys like Denzel Ward. Or I promise Minka you, he will be one of the top three players that's off the a board. Pre- that's a premium position yes. from a, from this type of player. He will be one of the top three non-quarterbacks picked. I guess so. Yeah, I just, I mean, I guess it's all just how you how you value uh, certain ones because I think the corners would be just as good. So really, it's whichever guys you like at that point. All right, thank you, Christian. Appreciate the call, buddy. And, you know, and and Marco brought up a good point. Does he have Does he have to be Lawrence Taylor? Talking about Chubb. No, no, he doesn't. Nobody, nobody has no. been has become no, Lawrence no, no, Taylor. No, 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 I think the point is is no, that no, do no. do you need that type of player at the number two pick from the defensive end? Yes, you do. And I think that that guy can put on. I mean, I saw of interviews and and has watched some tape on the guy. His motor is ridiculous, and he's got great technique. Too and for and a I young think he, and he seems to me from the interviews and stuff like a really good dude. Oh yeah, no, I. I so heard great I think, reviews about so what he is as a guy. So I think that you're getting everything yep. you want out of that pick from yep. from character to work ethic to to the possibilities of being a Hall of Fame football player and being your number two pick. There it is. It's, it's, it's right there. And by the way, he sca- scored in the top 5% in the in the athletic testing for defensive okay. ends over the last 30 years. And by so the way, do the Giants the need boxes. another defensive end? I think they do, Jeff. I think they do too. All right, let's go to our next guest. He's Dan Orlovsky, former NFL quarterback, native of Connecticut. Um, I'm sure you remember his time with the Lions and his other teams in the National Football League. And Dan's doing a great job of breaking down on Twitter some of these college quarterbacks coming out in the NFL draft. And we welcome him into the 
show. Dan, you got John Schmelk and Jeff Fiegels with hey, you Dan. in JohnGiants.com. How are you today? I'm doing well, guys. What's going on? Nothing much. Happy for you to jump on. I really enjoyed your podcast with Peter King. I enjoyed some of your tweets, breaking down some of the tape. So let's get right to it one by one here with the quarterback. Sam Darnold, uh, he's the number one guy on my board. Um, do you value him that same way of the current quarterback class? And why do you have him there if you do? And where do you think he needs to make the most improvement? Oh, there's no doubt about it. You know, you know, I look at it like this. If you're picking early in the draft, you're 1,000% trying to find people who change the game for you. And so if you're looking at the quarterback position when it comes to that, those guys have to have traits that you can't coach. That you just There's not drills for them to, to get better at. Yep. So there's three things with Sam Darnold that stick out to me when it comes to that. One, he's got, and I've coined it, this kind of magical sloppiness. Everything he does <laughs> is just a little bit sloppy. It is. You know, and it's very Romo Roethlisberger-esque. Sometimes that sloppiness gets him in trouble, but, man, it creates some magic that you just can't, you just can't replicate, you know, in a guy. You can't drill that into a guy. The second thing is, and this is a really important trait, he's got this unique ability to judge the angles and speeds of how his guys are going to run their route. And that matters in the NFL. The tape shows this for him in college. And that matters in the NFL because in the NFL, things happen faster and they happen smaller. And anticipation is so important. That's not a, you can't just, that's something you're born with and you develop. You can't drill that into a guy. And so that trait is huge. And then the last thing, he's accurate with bad feet. And from a guy who had to play on some bad teams, and I know what NFL pockets are like, that, uh, with, a po- with a perfect pocket, I was pretty accurate. They're just non-existent in the NFL. Unless you're Dak and you go to the, the brick wall, they're just non-existent. So to, to have the trait where you could be accurate with bad feet, one, I don't, I don't have a drill because I'm not going to coach bad habits in you, so I'm not going to do that. Two, I know with better feet you'll be even more accurate. So like those traits that he has that you can't coach into a guy are are – such differentiators for me and then the thing you know his flaws all these guys have flaws or warts sure can you help them you know the turnovers well matt ryan had 19 coming out of school romo had 16 coming out of school russell wilson his junior had 14 breeze had 12 so you got to figure out how they're happening you know the ball security i was with matthew stafford in 2010 when he had 10 fumbles in 2000 or 2014 he had 10 fumbles in 2015 he had two because he made more of an emphasis. He protected it more. Two hands on the ball. So you can fix, in my opinion, you can fix and help those flaws of his. And, you know, Dan, I think you're in a very unique position. As someone that played the position in the pros and understands what it's like to go from college to NFL and try to translate those skills. And I was having a conversation a couple years ago with Kevin Gilbride, former Giants offensive coordinator, and he talked to me and he goes, John, back when I used to evaluate quarterbacks 15, 20 years ago, I used to look at the arm strength, you know, can he, can he spin it, can he throw it through wind? But he goes, the more I did this, the more I understand what makes a great quarterback in the NFL is your ability to slow everything down anticipate and see what's happening because so many times like you mentioned it's the NFL you don't have a clean pocket you're looking at your feet and your ability to process things uh, to me is really maybe the most valuable thing you can see in these quarterbacks because I'm not sure you can coach that up in guys you either can slow it down and you see everything or you can't Uh, what do you think are the most important traits when you look at these college guys, if they can translate what they do in college to the pros? 
Yeah, I mean, I'll play off what you said. You know, if you look at the top ten quarterbacks in the NFL over the last three or four years, it's going to look like an EKG gram. There's no more. There, no longer is there a prototype. Right. There's just not. They come in all shapes and sizes now. And so when you're looking at it and you're going, well, what do we need? Well, everyone coins or throws around the term processes information. Very few people know what it means. So processing <laughs> information at the quarterback position is this. You get your play. Now your process starts. Okay, this is my play. And it sounds silly, but a lot of quarterbacks struggle with even being able to visualize their play. So I've got my offensive play. It comes into my helmet. Here's my offensive play. This is the situation. Two things have to come into mind. What's the problem of your play? Because every play, there's a problem. Whether it's a run left, if I've got too many people numbers-wise, defensively, I've got to have an answer. And then there's an opportunity for your play. Okay, here, you know, I've got Odell Beckham on a post. You know, is there an opportunity for me to throw that post? And then I'll flip it. Then you have the defense. And the defense is going to present a problem to you. Okay, this is my protection. The defense is showing a blitz. I don't have enough people to block. What's my answer? And then there's an opportunity from the defense. Okay, I've got press, man. I could take a go ball shot. And here's the thing. You need to do all that in four seconds, 70 <laughs> out of 70. You can't be 35 out of 70. You can't be 45 out of 70. Then you're just okay. You've got to be 100 out of 100, and your brain has to go. Every single play is different. Every play, And so you have to have that process, and a lot of guys struggle with it. So if you can do it at the college level, you're so much more advanced when you get to the NFL. And, you know, a lot of people, it's, it's why everybody pretty much says that the quarterback position is one of the hardest positions to play in sports. And you obviously did it well, and you understand the position. I think that, that one, one thing that's hard to understand to really evaluate out of these guys when we're talking about that processing information, you can put somebody on a whiteboard and you can do all those things, but until the, until the things come fly, the darts are flying at you live and things like that, it's almost like a crapshoot. You have to take a, take a guess on some of these. What are some of the things that from a scouting perspective or a coaching perspective, do these guys go through with these top four guys that we're talking about that will give them some sort of an answer that they can process this information on the field? Dan? Yeah, I mean, absolutely. You're, I've been around guys who can do it on paper. Then yeah. Even in a walker, you can get it. But then when the game gets going, it's a different world. So I think what, what I find confusing sometimes is we have to watch tape. We have to watch tape. And if kids are showing the inability to do it at the college level, where it will be its easiest, because at the NFL, it will only get harder sure. at the NFL level. Sure. Defenses will move faster, more detailed, disguise better. Like, I look at Josh Allen, and I've been outspoken about some of the things that I've seen him struggle with on tape, and he struggles with that very thing, that plan and process. And you don't think that if he goes number one to Cleveland, Terrell Austin at Cincinnati is going to go, wait, he's struggling with basic stuff? I'm throwing the kitchen sink at him. So, you know, I think evaluators, you need to, you need to watch the tape. And then you need, to, you, you need to understand there's a big difference between understanding it and executing it. And you've got to get to the point to, to realize if a kid can execute it. And to figure that out is, you know, if, if I was able to do that right now, I'd be making $15 million a year as a <laughs> yeah, no, manager okay. somewhere. I Listen. think it's hard, but at the end of the day, you've got to go back to tape. Yeah. You have to go back to tape because – I, I could get my wife to understand the, the, the stuff on a dry erase board, and she can go talk ball at some point. I could teach her enough execution. If they can't execute in college, you can't ask them to execute in the NFL. Right. Yeah, it, it's tough, Dan, and I think and we're joined by Dan Orlovsky, former NFL quarterback, and I think 
some of the stuff you showed from Josh Allen, and we'll go to him as the next quarterback here because a lot of people do believe uh, that the Browns would select him number one, which to me is, is very, very risky because of some of the problems you've mentioned. What are some of those processing issues you've seen from Allen when you watch his college tape at Wyoming? Yeah, so you, you, as like I said, you just watch out the tape. And there's a clip, and I started seeing some clips where I was just like, huh, you know, why is, why is he struggling with some of the basic stuff? You know, why is he late to everything, late reactionary and, you know, late to simpler throws and – it's not only the throws, but then it goes into the whole aspects of playing quarterback because there's a difference between throwing and playing quarterback. And so I'm watching tape, and I'm watching as I'm watching tape, he's doing a lot of stuff at the line of scrimmage. There's a clip against Iowa where he goes up to the line of scrimmage like we see quarterbacks do all the time, and it looks like he changes the protection. Mm. And the, the offensive line slides. All five guys slide to the left, and the right defensive end comes unblocked. And he stands there and has no – anticipatory reaction that he thinks that defensive end is unblocked. It's like it surprises him. Mm-hmm. And for me, it's like you might have sent the offensive line the wrong way. I don't care about that. But you have to know what you did and know what your problem. And it looks like he's surprised by it. And so that is alarming to me that you, you're you not doing that. I mean, it was a four-man, blitz, four-man pressure. It wasn't like Iowa brought everybody. So that's alarming. And then I'm watching the Oregon game. And Oregon, Wyoming is playing Oregon. Wyoming's in a five-man protection, which is one of the easiest protections for a quarterback because we just know, all right, if, yeah, if right, one guy on yeah. the defense blitzes, I'm in trouble. And the will linebacker for Oregon blitzes, and everyone for Wyoming's looking hot but Josh Allen. And it's, you know, for that stuff to me, it looks like, again, he's surprised by it. And so if that, to me, that not having that process, you, it's only going to get harder. And for coaches – Listen, there's 32 quarterback coaches in the NFL. If any of them could really expedite that learning for a kid, he wouldn't be a quarterback coach. You know? So it's just really hard to teach. It's like getting a kid Spanish 101, moving him to Mexico and say, go function every day like everyone else does there. <laughs> it's impossible. I hope nobody you know does that to it's me it's ever. <laughs> no, it, it, it's it, impossible. It is impossible. You know, and it's, it's difficult, and that's why I'm asking the questions because you, I think that the one thing that you said is you can see it on tape, and that's the only way you're going to be able to see people because a lot of times with athletes, you know, they're going to show you what they do consistently. They're going to get better through time and getting into the NFL, but the underlying problems are that you're going to have or they're not going to change a lot of things is what you see in in some of the tape that they watch and it's interesting when you talk about Josh and some of the just some of the if you're a quarterback I, and I never played quarterback other than high school is that the last thing I want to do is change a protection because I'm changing the protection to help myself and you know what I'm saying and not to know that sure. there's a guy that's going to come and kill me that would have a red flag in my mind too by the way so it's a good point yeah I mean and the big thing was I mean well, we would always play teams that were heavy blitz teams or whatever. The consensus was you don't ever want to think that you're going to be perfect. You just have to know what the problem is. You have to know what you did and know, you know, okay, what's the downside to this? And when right, he right. continuously on tape shows me that he doesn't know that, I go, whoa. Yeah. You know, like, especially since Carson Wentz did. Yep, absolutely. And they in the same offense. Carson Wentz, I went back and watched his film. He doesn't show those flaws. And then – People rave about what about Carson Wentz right now? Wow, he's really, really smart. <laughs> yeah, well, that does that does help from the quarterback position. Yeah, if and you that, are really smart. Yeah, <laughs> and I think I think that lends it to something else you mentioned a couple answers ago too, Dan. It's the concept of anticipation, and I think it's not just anticipating 
the type of stuff you just talked about, who's coming from where and then what do you do. But I think also when you wash Allen a little bit, I don't see him releasing the ball before the guy gets out of his break. I don't see him like you saw with Darl, where he knows based on angles and depth where his receivers are going to be. I'm not sure Allen has that anticipation, and as I'm sure, as you well are well aware of a lot better than I am, in the NFL, if you're not throwing the ball before the guy breaks open, you're late. Oh, there's no doubt. And that's, you know, it, it's, that's relatively common with guys who've got big arms because they haven't needed yeah. it. You know, a guy like Case Keenum, he's got great anticipation. Why? He has well, to. Because he's needed it, you yeah. know. So that's common with guys that, big, that have big arms. I just know this. It, uh, anticipation is not something that gets taught in 12 months. Mm-hmm. Case Keenum didn't become an – Eli Manning didn't become a guy who anticipates the ball really well. In 12 months. He's been doing it since he was eight. So for, co- for people to think like, oh, they'll just teach him to anticipate. What? What? He's been, he's been not anticipating for 20 years. <laughs> what makes you think he's going to be able to be taught to anticipate in 12 months? On air, will he be able to? Absolutely. Seven on seven? Probably. When you're getting hit in the mouth? No. It's just those aren't, those aren't traits. That's, again, that's when you're looking at these guys. You go, can I fix the worst? Can I fix the fall? Can we really? And that's just not a trait that you can teach a guy because it's years and years and years of reps. Dan, you uh, played the position. You know it. We got guys that come into training camp every year, um, some that you know and some that you don't. Um, one thing that, that we do know about Baker Mayfield is the guy can compete. And I think that a lot of times you're looking at the, the measurables from this guy as far as his, his height and, you know, those kinds of things. I, you know, I, I would stay away from him just because of the height standpoint, but I know there's a lot of people that like him because of the other attributes that he brings to a, to a, that position, leadership being one of them, a guy that's a little bit gutsy. Accurate. What do you think accurate? I mean, you look at the numbers from this guy from last year. He checks all the boxes as far as, you know, completion, percent, all that stuff. What do you think about Baker Mayfield, and do you like him? Do you not like him? Give us a little bit of something about him coming from a quarterback position. Yeah, I like him. It's hard for me to sit here and, and you know, buy into somebody who's going, I really don't like him because here I, I will, I'll give you kind of two, two sides of the coin. His numbers were great, yeah. But when you watch tape, Oklahoma manufactured a ton he of did. offense for him, a That's ton. True. You know, and a lot of those plays aren't going to carry in the NFL. They're, they just won't. Like, defenses are faster and smarter and more prepared. So that concerns me a little bit. It does. But if you take away those plays that are those manufactured plays and just break down the other plays, he throws it really well, mm-hmm. really well mm-hmm. from the pocket. I think his greatest thing, and he's the best deep ball thrower in this draft. Deep, and, and that's big in the NFL because, Jeff, you know, you only get really three or four shots in a game to push the ball downfield. If you have it, and they yeah. have such an impact on the outcome of the game. And you can't be that team or that quarterback that goes, oh, we just missed. Oh, we, we'll get it next time. You've got to hit them. And he hits them consistently, so I love that about him. I'd have to find out about this about him. The height thing doesn't – it only concerns me if this, if this. Drew Brees and Russell Wilson have minimized the height issue because they have become obsessed with their craft, obsessed with it. And right, right, their right. offenses have done a good job of moving them around, changing where they throw, backside A-gap, frontside A-gap, half roll, backside B-gap, full rollout. They've always done that. So, one, he needs to be in an offense that's going to do that for him. Two, I need to find out if he's got the same obsessive traits that Russell Wilson and Drew Brees do. Because if he does, 
then I then he I know he'll he'll overcome that deficiency. Sure. If he doesn't, then it, it does become an issue. So I do like him. I really do. I don't. You know, I think it's really hard for me to sit here and go, man, we're going to find five really good quarterbacks in this draft. We only have 10 in the NFL every year. Right. So, you know, I, I just I like him. He's just got to be put in the exact right location. And, and just real quick, in terms of being obsessive with his craft, are you talking about being able to find those throwing lanes in the pocket and being able to anticipate to get the ball in the right spot? Is that going to be the biggest challenge for him at that size Throwing from the pocket is finding those passing lanes and even seeing his wide receivers come open over the middle of the field? Oh, absolutely. And, and I referenced Drew Brees and, and Russell, and I'll, I'll give you guys this example. So when you're setting up, you know, pass game concepts, play action, set up in the backside B-gap, first thing is people might not think like backside B-gap to the, the, the behind the center. There's only about three feet of difference, essentially. People may not think that's a huge deal. It's a huge deal because – Everything's married together. Mm-hmm. If he, you know, the backside B gap, offensive line coaches are going to educate their offensive linemen. Listen, Baker's launching point is the backside B gap. So that's going to, they're going to move with that. They're going to set the passing lane with that. And then those receivers' depths are going to be with, with that. So that's what I'm talking about being obsessed with. Listen, if the play tells you me to set up in the backside B gap, I can't set up in the backside B plus gap, you know, the foot over. Sure. I can't set up behind the center. I've got to be obsessed with how this thing works together. And that's what Russell Wilson and Drew Brees have done. And that's why it's worked. And so, yeah, that's good point. He's just got to have that obsession with every single little detail. That's what I have to find out about him. Yeah, and you know, it, it, it makes it makes sense because if you're going to design this this offense around these intangibles around Baker Mayfield and put all the time in with the tree with the routes for the receivers, you've got to have that obsession about being in the right place and making those throws from the quarterback position, or it's just all not going to work. So you, I see that's a great point you make. We got one last quarterback, uh, Josh Rosen, who all the guys are, you know, this is their this. <laughs> We can talk about all these guys. I know that this was the one who seems to be the most ready to play in the NFL, I would say, from from a lot of people. And he probably did the most pro things in college. And I think that, you know, he did well and, and all those kinds of things. Tell us a little bit about from your perspective. And, by the way, you're doing a great job just really from, from somebody that played to position. Oh, it's great. Um, it's it's very good, nice to hear a lot of the things that, that, that quarterbacks themselves think about when they go to evaluating these guys. So, Josh Rosen, what do you think about him? Yeah, well, thank you for saying that. I love Rosen. I, I flat-out love him. You know, again, trying to find guys that change games. Rosen does two things that are so, so, so special. I mean, first of all, we live in the golden era of the quarterback mind. Defenses, like I've been saying, they do more. They're disguised more. They're intricate. They, they, offenses ask quarterbacks to do more at the line of scrimmage informationally. Mm-hmm. You need to be able to think. Tom Brady played at 40 and won the MVP because of his brain, not his physical attributes. Drew Brees? Kirk Cousins, the number one, two free agent quarterbacks, not because they're physical attributes. Nick Foles wins MVP of the Super Bowl, not because of his physical stuff. It's all because of their minds. So Rosen, in contrary to Josh Allen, Rosen's got this great, you see it on tape, he's got this great plan and process every single play. Every single play, he knows what the problem is, what's going on, and he, he runs the line of scrimmage. There's some clips, I'm going to put them on my Twitter probably in the next 10 days I have, of him against Memphis. And there's just this play. He gets up, and I fell in love with it. He gets up at the line of scrimmage, and they're in a little bit of a no-huddle offense. So he gets up at the line of scrimmage, and he, he, he gets under center. There's a play called. And then, like, you could just see from his body language, like, huh, something's up. He backs off the line of scrimmage, kind of 
goes up and down the line of scrimmage, communicates to his offensive lineman, sends like this super incognito hand signal to a receiver, backs out, touchdown. So you told me two things. You knew exactly what was going on, and you either changed the play or rerouted the play. You either had, you go, totally called a new play or just changed the receiver's route in touchdown. For me, that's quarterbacking. That's quarterbacking. And when you can do that at the college level, I know that I've got an open playbook at the NFL level. And then <laughs> if all the quarterbacks, the guys who are the most accurate guys in the NFL, they play with great rhythm all the time. Their rhythm is great. He plays with awesome, awesome rhythm. And that's why he's accurate consistently. Yes, he's refined and efficient. He plays with awesome rhythm. And so I love him. You know, when people talk about does he love football, no. I go – Go watch the Texas A&M game against UCLA. Excuse me, UCLA last year. He gets beat down for three quarters. I mean, beat down. And take it from a guy who, you know, when I had to play, I got beat up a little bit. To get up off the ground consistently like that, something else is getting you up. You know, you're not getting it up if you don't love it. If you don't love it. And then watch the fourth quarter and the emotion he plays with, with his teammates. He leads them back to a huge win. And you just – you. You don't do that for a guy who everyone says, quote-unquote, doesn't need football. It would have been easy for him to stay on the ground. He kept getting up. That's all I need to know about the kid. That's all I need to know. So, you know, I, I, love, I love his game. Dan, I got two more for you. One of the rest of the class, I know Lamar Jackson is considered by many in that, in, in that same top group. I, I have him kind of with Josh Allen below the top three guys. Um, from the rest of the group, including Jackson, anybody really jump out at you that you think is being short-sold here a little bit as a quarterback coming out in this class? Yeah, a little bit, but he's not going to be an earlier pick. He'll be a later pick and maybe an undrafted guy, but I think he's got a chance. He's from Toledo, Logan Woodside. And, you know, when I saw him at the combine, I never heard of him. I watched him throw, and I was like, huh. He okay. throws it very naturally, which is a big deal to me. Very natural throw the ball. He's a little bit shorter, but I love the way he moved. And then I went and go watch his tape against Toledo. And this is what stood out to me. He played his best football against the teams that outmanned Toledo. He played against Miami and lit them up. Uh, he, you know, I so, was at that game and I was, he was putting balls in some spaces. I could not believe how yeah. he threw, how well he threw the football, honestly. Yeah. Yeah. So I think he reminds you a little bit of a case Keenum type guy. You know, he'll be taken a little bit later cause he's undersized and whatnot. But I just liked when I watched him throw on tape and when I watched him move, he looked like he was playing quarterback. He didn't look like he was just a thrower. Very good, Dan. And I know you haven't scouted Davis Webb, who right now is a Giants backup quarterback. So I'm going to ask you a more general question. Uh, He was here last year. In training camp, he didn't even take reps with the first or second team. He was kind of in a separate opportunity section with undrafted rookies and things like that. He took about, I think, two dozen practice reps in December. Never got on the field in the game situation. Played a couple fourth quarters in the preseason. So the Giants' um, experience with him on the field is extremely limited. All they have is his tape at Cal when he played in, you know, read half the field, air raid, not really reading the defense type of system. How much can the Giants' coaches, who, by the way, weren't even here last year, are just going off of tape, how much can they know about Davis Webb in addition to what they saw from him and did from their scouting in college, how much can that experience in the building with him, seeing him at practice, seeing the tape from practice, really help their evaluation of him as they decide if they want to take a quarterback in this year's draft? Yeah, they're going to 
certainly rely on, and that's one of the good things about the NFL is all these coaches, even if you're not planning on your team taking a quarterback, they all do their evaluations of all the quarterbacks come out in the draft. So they'll tap into those evaluations if they like them or dislike them. Here's the reality. Pat Shermer did an evaluation on Davis Webb last year. We don't know what it was. Nope. He may not have liked it. He may not like to have liked you know, his evaluation on him. So he might be behind the eight ball to begin with. You just don't know. That's one of the downsides of the league. You know, I'm sure they've spent some time with him, especially in the next couple weeks. But you, I look at it like this. You're picking at number two if you're the New York Giants. And you're picking at two hoping that you never do it again. And so you have to, again, find game changers. Eli has changed your organization for the better part of 15 years. Yep. And I'm going, there's a guy that's probably going to be sitting there, most likely in Josh Rosen or Sam Darnold, that gives you a really, really good opportunity to change your organization for the next dozen years. <laughs> don't, don't, get, don't get cute with it. Don't overthink it. You know, because to be honest with you, Rosen reminds me a lot of Eli yeah, from me 14 too. years ago. And so, you know, I, it, it's not anything against Davis Webb. I just, you have this opportunity. Make sure you're not picking here again anytime soon. Sure. Dan, that was wonderful. Great, Great information. Yeah, thank you so much. Uh, I'm definitely going to keep your information. Let's talk again soon. Tremendous analysis. Yeah. I think we all learned a lot. I Thanks so much it. for the time, Dan. Thank you, Dan. No, thank you. We'll all talk right, soon. Have thank a good you. Guys. Absolutely. Dan Orlovsky, former NFL quarterback. Boy, that was some. I like how he breaks it down. That I, was some quarterback I in one on one right I really there, like wasn't it? I like how he breaks it down when you get to the line of scrimmage in that four seconds. How, you know, the, the, the defense gives you an opportunity and it takes away from you. So you better know which one to get into quickly. All right, we're, we're going to do our lobsters in a second, but I want to get two guys of held. I want to do rapid fire, guys. Either one point or one question, then we got to get to the next caller. Dan in Hawaii, Mr. Salamone. He's up first. What's up, Dan? Hey guys, Siegel. Hey Dan. Johnny, how you doing? We're great. Hey, one one thing I just wanted to say: the thing the Giants have lacked for probably five to seven years is the ability to control the ball on offense. And the reason they can't do that is they don't have a powerful line. Give me a lineman. Give me Quentin Nelson or trade down. Give me Hernandez. And give me another one. All right. I think that's fair, Dan. Got talent. All right, guys. Thank you. No, I, and look, look, I, look. There's no question that the Giants still have work to do in the offense. When they added Nate Solder, they added Patrick Amame, they're not done. No, they're so not done. I would expect whether they trade down or not, Dan. I would be surprised if there wasn't an offensive lineman drafted sometime in the first four rounds. Of this there draft. will be, and um, you know, there's one in, in, in that they're interviewing today, according to you know people, right? We, but we don't talk about that, Jeff. But I don't, I'm not telling you who no, it is. No, we don't talk about that. Yeah. So, I mean, they, every team does their interviews with these guys. I know, so. but we don't but talk I about will tell that. You, I would be surprised if I, the Giants did not draft some sort of an offensive lineman at any at correct. any position of the five to, in this coming up in this draft. I would like to walk into the building on Monday and still have a job, so I'm not going to say anything. Okay. Let's go to sure. Steve in Atlanta. Steve, what's up? Hey, how you doing? What's up, buddy? Uh, thank you. Thank you. Thank you for having that guy on. on just uh, yeah. It was wonderful because I don't understand why <laughs> – quarterback is in top of everybody's mind. I mean, just yeah, in the do. value. You talked a lot about value, John. And just to put numbers on the value, Kirk Cousins is getting $30 million guaranteed for three years. Right? The no. best running. And he's an average quarterback. Yeah. The best running back is getting, he's trying to get Bell, right? Running back and receiver. Trying to get, at max, $15 million. Steve, yeah. Steve, right now, the highest-paid running back in football is Devontae Freeman. He got a contract smaller than Weston Richburg. Okay, so look, $15 million for your best running back, 
thirty million for an average quarterback. So when you're you're looking at value, you have to look at quarterback. And if you're not if you're not in love with any of these quarterbacks, which I don't understand how you're not, then you got to trade. Because take the value now. Why would you take a positional player? It doesn't make. I don't know. It just we're, we're trying to win a Super Bowl. You need a good quarterback. You got You got to be in love with. Thank one you, of Steve. Them. You got to be in love buddy. with one of them that that that's going to go down. What you just said, and that's value. And you got to hope that. Um, and Rosen does remind you a lot of Eli Manning when you think about this the way he is. He's not a runner. You know, he's a smart guy. And he'll he even like and he'll even like throw off his back foot when he gets I, I, pressured. He does yeah, all that stuff. Yeah. So I mean, maybe even some of the bad stuff Eli does, Rosen does that too. You just kind of wish you 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 just knew what these guys, everybody was talking about, and who they like. And I would love Rosen at too. The injury stuff does scare me. And yeah. I'm I'm with Dan. I don't get into the whole personality doesn't love football thing. I don't I, I just don't I haven't seen enough and heard enough for me to buy that. I'm not saying it's not a thing. I just don't know it's a thing, so I can't do it. But I know how many games he missed because of injury and he couldn't finish the last two years and he's a pretty slight guy. So yeah. that's what I worry that, about there. Yeah, there if that, that injury problem wasn't there, him and Darnold will be right next to each other, one and yeah. two on my board, bing bam boom, dun dun dun. I think, I think the injury problem it it, it lends itself to the, the theory of, oh, you know, I don't need football, that kind of thing. So you remember how I always go back and forth between Mayfield and Rosen because yeah. of Orlovsky? Now I'm back on Rosen. <laughs> I was on Mayfield <laughs> as of yesterday. It'll be interesting. <laughs> It'll be very interesting. And it was very interesting what Dan had mentioned about, um, you know, a guy that has to be committed to that position Ooh, and so understanding good. from a small, from how small he is. Great interview. That was a really good. And it's nice to get the, somebody that played the position for 10 years in the NFL. That's the guy I want to listen to. Okay, that's the guy that I that understands kind of some of the concepts that a lot of people don't understand. Absolutely. All right, so we are ready. We are ready. John's gonna cue it up here. This is a special I have a day. Bad feeling about this. Hallelujah. <laughs> Losing his mind. Mr. Illness. He wasn't right in the hat. Enough jokes. I am happy. You're a madman. You gonna bring the whole thing over here? Yeah, yeah. Charlie of Portland, Maine. How are you, Charlie? Chuckles. Good John. Hey Jeff. All right. So, if you folks that don't know out there, Charlie's one of our frequent callers. Last off season, he make sure you stay in the shot, Jeff. Please. I know. I gotta. I gotta <laughs> somehow somehow do this. Okay. How about you put this in between us? How about Can you I do that? In the shot? Okay. Whoa. There you go. You okay there, buddy? You almost gonna right, fall down. Go. You almost hurt Jeff here, Charlie. So Charlie was a big Anthony Dobboy fan, as he liked to call him Pepe Le Pew. And when the Giants <laughs> let him go, Charlie believed that. Pepe would be a 53-man roster guy for the Atlanta Falcons. Um, that That's did right. Not, and, and Jeff disagreed. Uh, he, they promptly bet some main lobsters. Uh, I have nothing to do with this. It's just Jeff and, Jeff and Charlie. Jeff and me. And um, he, it was the easiest bet Jeff ever won. Uh, <laughs> Dobby did not make the 53-man roster. And finally, the lobsters have arrived from Maine. Uh, it said it on the box. I kid you not. And now we will Jeff will here, present on, his prize let's here. Let's get a little bit of a let's get a little bit what? of a preview. That what I'm, the octopus. That what I'm going to be Is there an octopus in there? <laughs> no. There's okay. something that looks like an octopus. I mean, these things right here could could resemble an octopus. There's some sort of a How many lobsters are in here, Charlie? How many are, how many are here, Charlie? I sent you 10. That's very generous. Okay, so, is there any kind yeah. of Thank you. Listen, they're, yeah, they well, got, they got rubber bands around the claws. Oh, okay? take one so out. Take one I'm out. going to. Take I'm just going to try to figure out the best way to take one out here, Charlie. Can, and I know you're not going to tell me because you want me to get bit. How about this guy right <laughs> here? I think that's a good one. Yeah, just all right. put your hand way down deep inside. Are you serious? Okay, hold on. Look at look at this, John. <laughs> great. Go get it. Don't look at me. Dude, I had this box in my office for an hour and a half, okay? Right, and so I heard them moving there in there. So uh, it was freaking me out. So I'm not touching him. This is all you, my friend. Well, this Make guy, sure go moving. get it. 
this guy. No, they're moving out. all right. This is all scary. Right. Go this get is... in there, Jeff. Shut come up, on. Schmuck. You're not going in there. <laughs> no, I know. I did it with the vet. <laughs> There's only two claws, right? Oh, look at this. There's only two claws. Look at this guy. Whoa, this guy's coming up. They got rubber bands. You can pick them up. Pick them up by the tail. I can't get to the tail, Charlie. They're put right, in. They're put in backwards. <laughs> All right, here there we go. go. Okay, okay, here we lift go. Lift it up. Lift it up for me. Whoa, yeah, this guy. This guy's feisty. There we go. There it is. Ha <laughs> <laughs> Oh, look, this guy's got one missing. Oh, he missing. picked out the right one. He's All right, well, this, them, Charlie. It's, thank you so much for the bet. I will tell you. And hey, uh, no problem. And these are going Enjoy so. Them. They're going Enjoy in the them pot. With some good butter or whatever you're gonna <laughs> use on them. Okay. Any recommendations? Yeah, I uh, usually just you know have some butter, drawn <laughs> butter, you know get get some uh, potatoes with them. All right. Uh, yeah, and there should be some stuff in there. I hope they sent you some like bibs and all that stuff. Uh, there do. could there could there be could some be at, at the bottom. At the bottom, but I don't see anything else. Yeah. So, there but. you go. You got one there. All right. There he is, right from Maine. <laughs> Charlie, this is wonderful. Thank you very much. And again, you didn't have to send ten. That's a very good job out of you. Oh, that's all right. I would have sent you more, but the prices went up. So, but <laughs> I think you, I think you got enough for your family, Jeff. Yes, we do. Yes, we do. We will let you. And, and Jeff will make sure these get cooked the right way, and they'll get done. Yep. And he will have yeah, some tell, excellent lobster. Tell you cook to put their heads in first, and they don't suffer so and much. And the next time it's I'm on the show, I will tell that. you how I prepared them and how I ate them, Charlie. Okay. And anytime yep. you want to do another bet, just let me know. <laughs> <laughs> thank you, Charlie. All right. All right, buddy. Thank you for coming through. We appreciate that. Hey, he's a man okay, of his guys. word. Thank you, Take Charlie. He's, he, he's a good man, and he stuck by his bet, sent the lobsters at a great Charlie time. Charlie sent us one lobster for every new lineman that he wants on the Giants. <laughs> It's true. It's and by the way, right? we, we, we've had some great shows with some great guests. I think this might have been the best one of the spring so far. It's fantastic. Dan Orlovsky, Phil yeah. Savage did a great Absolutely. job. Um, thanks so much. Next week, our draft process continues. It's LSU with Detino and Lance on Monday, and they'll make sure we get some uh, extra time for your calls on Monday's show as well. That should be our only guest, uh, LSU. For Jeff Fiegels, I'm John Schmelk. Thank you to Charlie for the lobsters. Thank you, Charlie. Kickety, 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 Chuckles. And we'll see you on Monday. Have a great weekend, have everybody. Weekend. It's 70 degrees outside this Let's weekend. Go. go out and have some fun. Some it's going to be 40 on Monday, so enjoy <laughs> it while it lasts. We'll see you then, everybody. See you later, guys.